0: You may be seated just for a moment. Uh, We wanted to uh, let you know about uh, the um, uh, upcoming events. And also we want to just make mention we appreciate all who went over uh, for the wake service and the funeral of Sister Tito Ratliff. Uh, All of our musicians and singers, uh, we appreciate them. It's a time to minister to people when they're hurting the most. And sometimes that's the services that most people remember. And that's why it's so important that when we are involved in a funeral that we all come and be a part of it because it's a time of ministering to those who are hurting. I'm glad somebody ministered to me when I was hurting. I'm glad that somebody cared enough to pray for me when I was down and out. I'm glad that somebody came to me one night when I was under conviction so bad. And they just looked at me and they said, you're under conviction, aren't you? And, and I, I wanted to just be a little sarcastic and say, how could you tell? Because I was sliding out of my seat and I was just about in the floor of the pew I was sitting on because I was just feeling just so unworthy and just feeling like I, I just got to hide somewhere. And you can't hide from the Lord As the old song says, there's no hiding place down here. And uh, I'm glad that there's no hiding place because I don't want to hide from Jesus now. I want to be in His presence and I want Him to get glory out of my life. And so uh, with that said, today we're going to be studying in the Word of the Lord. And uh, we are going to be looking in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 and verse 2 and verse 3. And uh, in Mark chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, and did something happen to our monitors or they just never was turned on? Are you restarting or anything? Um, Grab that remote and see if you can turn them on. So much for the monitors. Something happened to them. (laughs) And it's, it's something simple because all three went out. So it's, it's, uh, it's something, yeah. As long as it don't come up on the internet and start playing Hank, Hank Williams or something. <laughs> <laughs> While they're doing that, Mark chapter 4 and verse number 2 and verse number 3. And he taught them many things by parables. And said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. There went out a sower to sow. I'm glad that someone sowed into my life. The sower had a responsibility. You put the seed in the ground... You begin to sow in the correct manner and something will grow. I want the good seed in my life. That is the word of God. And I know that there's different soils that we're going to look at today. But I want to be the one that receives the seed in the good earth. And I want to produce something for Jesus. How many wants to produce something for Jesus? Amen. Look at somebody and say, sow into my life. You may be seeded. The sower's responsibility as well as the soul's responsibility. If you begin to talk about a garden of which uh, most of us just raise just, you really can't call it a garden, you can call it just a little uh, area uh, that maybe we raise some peppers or onions or s- something just small. Uh, very few people uh, raise what we used to call a garden which was uh, rows and rows of corn and potatoes and lettuce and cabbage and onions and all those things most people uh, do like me your garden is food city. And you just get you a cart, and you go and you pick from their garden. Uh, but when you look at uh, the gardens, and uh, you understand that there has to be seed planted, and you can't just go along throwing seed in the ground and expect it to grow. Uh, you have to make some rows, and then you uh, you know plant the seeds, cover it up. And then you got to water it. I remember watching uh, some um, the older generation, my grandmother and grandfather and and some of the older generation carried a bucket of water with them. And when they would plant something, they would pour just a little bit of water. Then they would move on to the next one, plant again, and and water. And then uh, if it didn't rain, they made sure they went out and watered the garden. But if it rained, then you was blessed because you didn't have to pack water or get about a you know 500 feet of water hose. But uh, it was always good. And if you've ever noticed. Homegrown stuff tastes different. Than what you buy out of the store. You can get a tomato out of Food City. And get a tomato that's been homegrown. Uh, maybe you stop by Sweet Peas over there. And you get a homegrown tomato. And it has a total different taste. And uh, I remember my... My brother-in-law took me to his grandfather's house And we were picking tomatoes And uh, they said, uh, you can have one, uh, you know, if you want it uh, Go ahead and eat you one or two uh, And uh, we had a salt shaker And oh, I'd take that salt shaker And I'd feel that tomato full of salt And I'd eat one, then I'd eat two ate three, and I was getting ready to get my fourth and, and my brother-in-law said, hey, hey, hey I said one or two, not, not three or four But I could have sat down and probably eat them till I was foundered because I love salt on tomatoes, fresh tomatoes. Now, get them out of the store. To me, they taste like they've been frozen. They taste like they've been frozen. they got this little texture to it that that ain't right. Some things just ain't right. But I'm glad to know that when we are planted in the church, that we will produce what the Lord wants us to produce if we will let his word enter into our life and it won't be something that is uh, not good tasting it won't be something that uh, you can say well there's a difference I I believe there's a lot of difference in churches today because they're not letting the word get into their life and they're not producing uh, the good natural thing that the Lord wants us to have and that's praise and worship unto him and to have his atmosphere and his presence in this place so I began to think about how that the natural garden and the spiritual garden are the same. And I don't think it was uh, out of order either that, uh, that uh, Adam and Eve were placed where? In a garden. And uh, I think it's interesting that the Lord has used a garden throughout uh, His Word to show Uh, you're going to eat a vineyard you didn't plant. Oh, the promises unto them that followed through and went to the promised land. You're going to eat a vineyard you didn't plant. You're going to live in houses you didn't build, drink of wells you didn't dig. Oh, what promises we have in the word of the Lord. Every one of us now can say, I've got blessings in store for me if I will just receive the word and produce something for the Lord. And so if we will produce the right fruit and if we will produce the right things in our life, the Lord is going to look at us and He is going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now there are many different ways we can share the gospel with other people. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's always good to sow seed. A Bible study talking to someone about Jesus, uh, sharing a a video of a service with somebody. Uh, There's always different ways that you can share the Word of God with somebody today, much more than we ever had in our whole life. Back in the day, if you wanted to go share the Word of God, you had to go knock on some doors, sit down in people's homes, get Bibles out, concordances out, and your little charts, and then you would start teaching. Well, that's still a good thing, but I want you to know that a lot of times we're going into people's homes this morning we're sitting at their table and virtually uh, because through virtual reality, if you will. We're sitting at their tables. We're giving them a Bible study. And uh, we don't, didn't have to go into their home because we're going in through the Internet. I think it's interesting that when we look at the many ways that we have to share the gospel with others, there is no excuse for us not to be witnessing to others about Jesus. I think that sometimes we say, well, I just don't have time. I know we're busy. I know this world is busy. But, uh, you know, how easy it is today to put a video link in an email and send it out to hundreds of people at one time. How easy it is to share it on your Facebook. You spend 17 hours a day, I mean uh, maybe 7 hours a day uh, on Facebook and you should be able to share a little bit of the gospel of Jesus instead of just what you had to eat for dinner. Amen. I believe that sometimes we get so wrapped up in Facebook that we want to get the latest gossip and we want the latest what's going on in the community Who's that person mad at? Oh, there's something going on there. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I believe instead of looking for something like that, we ought to be sharing the gospel with people. We ought to be telling people about upcoming events. You ought to start advertising right now about our homecoming services and have people invited and coming. And uh, it's not something that we look at and say, well, somebody will do it because we know all that story about that baseball game. You know, who's on first? <laughs> you know, you, you really don't understand that, that, that uh, you know, everything's going on around us, but we're just looking at, you know, who's, who's on first. And uh, so we're looking at somebody who's going to start it, somebody who's going to do it, and somebody who's going to finish it when it could be us. When it could be us, we could share. And if you talk to anybody, you know, I'm sure y'all talk to your neighbors. I know you do because your neighbors talk to me about you. I mean, t- uh, talk to me. And I'm going to tell you, when you talk to your neighbors, you going to tell them about the goodness of God. You ought to tell them about the church. And you are to tell them about serving Jesus because if we can do that, then we can reach a lost and dying world. We don't have much time. We don't have much time. The Lord's coming back. We don't have much time. The Lord's coming back. How many believe the Lord's coming back? Amen? I believe the Lord's coming back. And if we're not careful, we'll get so complacent that the Bible says that, that we will sleep. And that's where the world's at today and a lot of church folks are at today. They're asleep. There needs to be a trumpet sounded. There needs to be the preaching of the Word. There need to be some yelling and telling. There needs to be some focus. I believe there needs to be an awakening in our day that people that are asleep on pews will wake up and say, Oh, I need Jesus. Oh, I need to feel His presence. I need to feel His power. I need to know He's here. I don't know about you, but I need to feel Jesus. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this. You see, we got to be responsible sowers. we got to sow the seed. And if we can be responsible to sow, then we're going to see the things produced that the Lord wants to see. He wants to see people come to Him. He wants to see people at this altar. He wants to see, yes, He wants to see people at this altar. He wants to see people go down in His name. He wants to see people raise their hand and receive the Holy Ghost. He wants to see that. And it's up to us, the church, to start sowing. How am I going to get somebody to the altar? You've got to start way before they show up at church. You've got to start talking to them about Jesus at work and at school and in your, in your backyard when you're leaning over the fence talking to someone. You've got to start talking about Jesus at that point. Because if you try to wait till you get them in church, then you're going to harass them. <laughs> You need to go to the altar yeah I know I need to go to the altar I'm gonna to go to the altar one day you know so we start harassing you don't need to harass nobody to the altar we need to start just simply giving them the good word of the Lord tell people what the Lord's done for you if the Lord's done anything good for you you ought to just tell somebody Jesus has been so good to me let me tell you what he done for me yesterday And then just start talking about how that you almost was in a head-on collision. But the Lord woke up the driver coming at you just in time. Oh, we could talk about the great things. And they say, oh, you know, I I ain't really got no stories to tell nobody. If you ain't got no stories, I'd say you're dead. Because you got woke up this morning. You got started on your way. I don't know about you, but that's a blessing within itself. I had arthritis flare up in my elbow uh, a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, when you try to snap and get a tie tied and all that, look at my elbows. They have to be bent, right? I was at the point where I couldn't get no farther than that right there. And I don't know if you've ever seen anybody try to tie a tie with one hand. It just don't work. And uh, I thought I'm gonna have to go get my wife to tie my tie, and uh, I'm gonna have to ask her to snap this little snap there and all that, and button the top collar and all this. And and I thought I'm gonna have to do it. And I said, No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna button this. I'm gonna snap this. I'm gonna tie this tie, if it, if it kills me. And so it about did. <laughs> I, I, right now, that's as far as I can bend my arm right now. But I would, I would push and I'd push and I'd push till I could get right there and then I tied it and everything and I said thank you Jesus you know what that, that's a blessing that's a blessing You don't have to be raised from the dead to give him praise. You don't have to have a healing from cancer to give him praise. You don't have to come to church and something miraculous happen to give him praise. It can be the little things. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe I just come to praise the Lord while I have this chance. Woo! I believe that sometimes we find this parable. There's different souls that is mentioned here in this parable. A parable, of course, is... Uh, taking a natural uh, event and explaining something spiritual. Because how many knows that sometimes we can't understand spiritual stuff? Yeah, there ain't no use looking at somebody sitting at a restaurant and you sit down with them and say, Hey, let me tell you about the Godhead. You're going to blow their mind. You start out just telling them about Jesus. How good the Lord is. Ain't this a beautiful day the Lord hath made? We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. You start out that way. So there are different soils, and you have to understand that if you're going to sow, you're going to have to sow in the right soil. And so I want to talk about these uh, different soils because this parable. Everybody say parable. Parable. Parable is taking a natural thing. He's using a garden, a garden, a sower in the garden, and he's going to try to prove something, he's not going to try. He is going to prove something spiritual. That's what a parable is. Every time you' read in the word a parable, it's, it's not something that is actually happening, but it's something that is a type of something that happened. Maybe, maybe you talk about the, the parable uh, of, of the talents, you know, uh, It's talking about. Something comparing it to something. You're comparing something natural to something spiritual. Again, it's easy to understand natural things. It's easy if I talk to you about a garden and there's, a, there's an old farmer, right? There's an old farmer and he's, and he's planting seed and then there's that ground that he's planting in. So, so we can look at this many ways. We can look at this as the sower and the soul, Or we can look at it as a farmer and the soil. The farmer and his farm. We can look at old MacDonald. He planted a garden too probably. But you know he had horses and cows and ducks. Different soils. Different soils. We need to learn how to plant. We need to learn how to plant. This, This world knows how to come to church. We know how to come to church. We know that Sunday morning we're going to be here. Sunday day we're going to have church. And then then Wednesday night we're going to have church. We, We know how to come to church. And some people know how to have church. And there's a big difference in coming to church and having church. And when you have church, that means that you have a move of God. That means that there is praise and worship. Having church is not just coming and singing. It's not just passing the offering plate. It's not just taking up prayer requests. That's not having church. That's just preparing for something to happen. But when you have church, something has been planted in your heart that makes you want to praise Him even when you're sick, even when you're afflicted, even when you're depressed, even when you feel bad, even when you feel like the world is caving in on you, you still got a hallelujah, and you still got a praise unto the Lord. We ought to have church every time we come to church. Ain't nothing more frustrating than somebody who needs a move of God and comes to a dead church. I'm going to say it again. Ain't nothing more frustrating than somebody who needs a move of God and comes to a dead church. They want a move of God because they know that if they can get to a place where God moves, they'll be like that woman pressing through with the issue of blood. If I can but touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. There's something about having church and having a move of the Lord that people are hungry for. I I don't believe we're living in such a immoral, ungodly world that nobody wants to feel God anymore or nobody wants to have church anymore. I just believe we got so used to everything as it is that the church has got complacent it was not the world that fell asleep at the garden when Jesus went to pray it was his own disciples who fell asleep and he comes back and he says, what can't you watch with me one hour can't you stay awake long enough to watch me pray and watch how to get through your tough times and your difficulties I tell you if we're living in a world that we can't can't stay in the sanctuary long enough to hear a message. Something's wrong with our spirit. We've got to come into the house of the Lord.
1: We've got to have something planted in our life because there's hungry people who need a move of God. There's hungry people who have come because they're longing for Jesus. Anybody longing for Jesus? Go ahead and give a hand clap. Give some praise. <laughs> Lift your voice if you're longing for him.
0: There comes that time you got to thirst after him. you got to thirst after him. If you've ever been real thirsty, if you've ever been outside and you've been working in the hot sun and you got real thirsty and then you, you said, i just got to go get something to drink. I'm about to die of thirst. Well, you really ain't, but you feel like it. And so you go in and get something to drink. That's the way we ought to feel about coming to the house of God. Because I tell you, this world has made you thirsty. This world's put you through the dry. It's put you in the heat. It's put you in all sorts of of ungodly situations. And now you're thirsting and hungering. He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. So we ought to come to church hungry and thirsting longing oh I pant after him the writer begins to talk read your Bible it's a fascinating book there's all sorts of things in the Word of God that begins to tell us how that people long for the Lord so much it was like it was like dying of thirst it was like being so hungry oh taste and see that the Lord is good Many have asked why Jesus taught him parables, but as the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus knew the best way to get the message across. And sometimes the best way to talk to someone is to know where they're coming from. You know, you can't can't look at some people and start telling them the theory of of, uh, relativity. Or talk to them about, you know, how that Isaac Newton and the law of gravity and all this... Sometimes you've got to get down on people's level. If somebody come up to me and started talking to me about some uh, electrical theory of, of um, winding motors and getting motors to the right amps and all this stuff, even though I was a certified electrician for uh, probably 25 years, you know what? I'd look at them and say, you're over my head. You're over my head. Somebody like Brother Jerry comes up and says, yeah, I tore this diesel engine apart, and I took this out and this out, and I I bored it out, and I put it all back together and started it up, and it started up. That's over my head. But you know what? We need to learn how to relate to people. You can't talk to people the same way. I used to use this illustration all the time because back in the day uh, when the days of hippies, anybody remember the days of hippies? That was those anti-social, rebellious people that was going against society. That's what hippies were. If you didn't know what hippies were, that's what hippies were. They were always in rebellion against society. That's why their hair was long. That's right. Well, I'm going to teach you all some 60 social studies. That's why their hair was long. That's why they didn't shave. That's why they, that's why they wore tattered blue jeans. And, 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 and it, everything was anti-establishment. And, and back in the day, I would say, you can't go to a hippie and start talking about standards of dress code. <laughs> They're going to say, man... I just. <laughs> That's a... That's a... But you gotta reach them by talking to them. And how are you gonna talk to somebody you can't relate to? You just simply got to use the word in the most simplistic way or parable way. That you can. There's nothing wrong with looking at somebody and say, You know, I once knew a fella that thought he had it all figured out and was uh, just going through life real easy and had no worries and and, uh, thought everything was going to be supplied for him. And then all of a sudden, he found himself in in a bad place. And he needed everything. Well, basically what you're telling them is the same thing that Laodicea was told by the Lord. You say you're rich and have need of nothing when you're poor and naked and blind and miserable. So, so you don't have to look at somebody and start out with, let me take you to First Samuel. Because <laughs> they're going to look at you and say, is Samuel the guy who lives down the road here? Uh, that's the first one I knew of and... No, you've got to talk to them in a way to relate. That's what the, the, the seed and the sowing is about. It's a relationship between the sower and the soil. And, and if you get the right relationship and you know how to plant the seed, it's just like fishing. Now, now Brother Jim's a great fisherman. I mean, if you want to know anything about fishing, talk to him, not me. Uh, talk to him. Uh, He'll tell you there's certain baits you use at certain times. If the the lake's high, you're going to use this, and you're going to fish here. If the lake's down, you're going to fish here. Uh, I mean, he's got it all figured out. So he comes home with fish. Well, he throws them back. I don't know about you. He throws them back. But um, he fishes a lot. He knows what to do to catch those fish. Now, you take meat. And he's going to take me one day and I'm going to go out with him and I'm going, to, I'm going to cast and I'm going to act like I know everything because I can go through the motions. Man, I can take a Zebco. I can go through the motions. I can go through the motions of fly fishing but I couldn't throw one out in the water at all. But you know what? He knows how to do it. I don't. So what would happen is I'd fish all day. And I tell this story because this is a true story. I went fishing with a pastor from Tennessee. He went and woke me up, and I had to get up about 4 a.m., which was my first problem. And then he said, we're going to be on the water by 5. And and he stopped by Hardee's, and he said, we went in. I stand there waiting on him to order, and I said, you going to order? He said, oh, I've done eat breakfast. He done been up, eat breakfast, loaded the boat, everything he needed. Give me a biscuit. So I I go and I'm eating my biscuit. We go out on the lake. And and he he says, this looks like a pretty good place, Brother McKinney. This is where we catch a lot of fish. I said, okay, good. I love to catch fish. If I'm going to fish, I want to catch them. So uh, he starts throwing out. He casts a little bit. And uh, he says, you, you have that rod over there and anything you need's in the tackle box. Uh, there's one. Got him. He's reeling him in. I'm still trying to figure out what kind of bait should I use. I like purple and this one's purple. <laughs> See, that's where a lot of churches get in trouble. Oh, I like to do this. It ain't ain't exactly what we need. Preacher says, oh man, I heard a great message. I want to preach that. Well, go ahead and preach it, but it ain't going nowhere. Because it ain't for the people. So looking at, at all that bait and all that artificial stuff, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So first thing I did, I said, hmm, I know what I'll do. I'll look and see what he has on his line. So I looked and he had this. Thing on there, and uh, I don't know. I, I searched through, and I, I said I get one of the same color. I put it on, I tied it on. He said, "Hey, you done, brother Richard? I'm doing good. About ready to throw my line out. He's already caught two or three, and uh, he he's cast them back out. And he, oh oh man, that got away. He said." I said, ooh, man, I better hurry up and throw my line in. So I threw my line in. You know what? I threw my line in. I threw my line in. (laughs) I threw my line in again. I didn't catch a thing. Because I didn't know what the little nibbles were. I didn't know when, I didn't know if I was snagging something on the bottom or if, if a fish was trying to catch it as I went, as it went by. But to make a long story longer, there was, a, uh, there was uh, several hours we was out on the lake. I caught nothing. Never even got a bite. So I, Jim, I, did the, I broke the cardinal rule of fishing. <laughs> I looked where he throwed his. I said, that's where the fish is at. So I cast across his line. Oh, all the fishermen, oh, all the fishermen says, oh, man, that's what he did.
1: They said, Brother
0: Richard, you just threw your line across mine. Now you got me tangled up. I said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I said, I just thought you was catching fish over. I'd catch some too. I caught his line. It's the only thing I caught. You see, you got to know how to speak to people. You got to know how to talk to people and how to witness to people because some people come from different backgrounds not everybody is college educated not everybody is uh, able to understand the word of God and you have to just take your time and know what bait in the word of God to use and and that's how you catch fish that's why you become fishers of men and uh, that's the way you do it So there are different soils. There was uh, three different soils. Uh, There was uh, three different types, if I could use it this way, that did not produce anything good. The seed was sown, some by the wayside, and some among stony ground, and some in thorny soil. But then there was the good soil. So I want, to, I want to speak to us about sowing sowing today in the right ground. Uh, Jesus began his lesson by introducing the sower of the crop. The sower was not expected to do anything other than generously throw or plant seeds on the ground that had been prepared for planting. The sower was not responsible for the rain. And the sower was not responsible for the sun. All he was to do was sow. So what we have to understand is what Paul began to relate to us. That one plants. Somebody else waters. But God gives the increase. So if a church grows, it's not because you sang a song. It's not because you're a dynamic preacher. It's because you followed protocol. You begin to plant. One begins to sow. Somebody else comes along with a song and begins to sing, and it begins to water, and the spirit begins to move, and the next thing you know, that seed begins to produce. The next thing you know, they want to come to an altar and give their life to Jesus. Why? Because God gives the increase. I think it's interesting to know that Jesus compared the sower to those who share the gospel. As we share the word of God with others, we are sowing the seed of truth into their hearts. So we have to understand the concept of the farmer. He generously sows seed, then waits for the harvest. If some of the seeds fall on unprofitable ground, he don't give up or lose heart. Now here's where it comes in. How many's ever witnessed to somebody and they came to Jesus and gave their life to Jesus? Hopefully a whole bunch of y'all. How many's ever talked to somebody and it fell flat? They didn't want to hear about Jesus. They didn't come to church. They didn't come to an altar. That's the soil we're talking about here is all you're supposed to do is keep sowing. Now some people are not going to respond to the seed the sowing they're not going to respond to it so you're going to find that some's going to fall on stony ground or they're, they're hard-headed <laughs> none of us was ever hard-headed was we hard-hearted and and they don't want nothing to do with church a lot of people may have had seed sown in their life but They let all this world, cares of this life, just start springing up and choked out the word because they're too involved out there to get involved in here. I'm going to tell you something. You can live in that world, play in that world, and love that world, but when you come in the presence of the Lord, don't expect the Lord just open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon you. You got to show Jesus you love him outside of these four walls. Oh, Oh, how I love Jesus.
1: Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first
0: loved me. Oh, i got to love him outside these four walls. i got to show him that I'm going to worship him in the midst and in spite of it all. I'm not one thing in church and then something else in the world. One thing in church, something else on the job. One thing in church, something else with my friends. If that's the way you are, you're a hypocrite. Somebody say, you shouldn't say stuff like that, pastor. I'm the pastor. I got the mic. (laughs) But that's what the Bible would call you, is a hypocrite. So you got to be the same. And and I believe that it's, it's when the word is planted in your life, you'll be the same. You will show the same fruit. You know, how many knows there is the fruit of the Spirit? That's the things that should be showing in your life. After you accept the Lord in your life and get filled with his spirit. It, you know, you got love, you got all these all these great things that's supposed to be showing. Right? You can't go in the middle of the beanie weenie aisle at Walmart and do a, a three stooges, three sixty fit on the floor. Weep, wee, 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 wee. People's gonna look at you and say, Huh, well I thought I thought that was a preacher. That's the way they look at us. I thought you was a saint of God. Be careful, little hands, what you do. You see, we got to be careful because when we go out these these doors, we're, we're the only light that some of this world will ever see. And if they don't see your light, then you're not doing what God's called you to do. You should shine in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. You don't become a liar because you're surrounded by liars. You don't become somebody who is a, um, who is a uh, thief because you're surrounded by thieves. You don't become somebody who is, uh, uh, you know, just uh, uh, somebody who's causing trouble on the job just because everybody else causes trouble. Right? You got. You got to. Sometimes you got to. You got to just back away from all that mess, and say, "I'm a child of God. I can't get involved in stuff like that." You see, there's some things that many times that I would look and uh, and I would tell people, "I say, I can't be involved in that." I never will forget. I went to my class reunion. At Elkhorn City, they invited me to come over. I went there until I was 15 and then moved over here. So all my friends wanted me to come back for the reunion. I went back for the reunion. We're all sitting there eating, laughing, reminiscing, carrying on. And then they look at me and they say, well, we're going up to the country club up there and we're going to finish our night up up there. Come on, let's go. I said, nope, not going. What's wrong with you? I said, I don't drink, and I don't party. I'm not going. Ah, oh, come on now, Rich. You know, man, you don't have to drink. You can just go hang out with us. He probably said something stupid like, I'll drink for the both of us. I said, no, I can't go. Can't go. Who stopped me? I said, first of all, the Lord. Second of all, me. I don't want my good evil spoken of. All all it would have took is for me to sit there with about four people with drinks and me have nothing but a Diet Pepsi and somebody say, I seen that pastor drinking with them boys. That's right, because people talk. <laughs> they do. But you know what? you gotta, you got to sometimes step back away from the situation and say, Nope, I can't do that. Jesus wants His church to shine, to be a glorious church. A church without spot and without blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. So the farmer generously sows the seed and he waits for the harvest. Some seeds fall on unprofitable ground. He does not lose heart or give up. Just because you try to get somebody to come to church and they don't come to church, don't say, they ain't used to me to ask nobody no more. No, that should make you want to ask more people. Don't, Don't get discouraged because the person you asked to come to church didn't come. Don't get discouraged because the person you witnessed to laughed and said, Yeah, if you make it to heaven, I ain't got nothing to worry about. You just keep talking to people. You just keep inviting people. You keep witnessing people. The worst thing is if the farmer gets discouraged and doesn't sow any seed, the land never produces. I know preachers that's been discouraged. And they got up, and instead of preaching what is needed for the hour, they just preach life lessons and tell you how, you know, uh, old Dan Tucker combed his hair with a wagon wheel. They just want to tell you stories because they're tired of trying to get people to live right. They're, they're, They're burnt out, is what we would say. But thank God there's still some preachers that are willing to say, I'm trying to get everybody to live right, but if you don't live right, I'm still going to reach out to other people. Amen. Amen. You know, that's what the Lord did. Because His people were originally the Jewish people. And they refused Him. They, They didn't believe He was the Savior. And still to this day, if they haven't repented of their sins, they still don't believe Jesus is the Savior. They're looking for the Messiah to come. So what did the Lord do? He turned to the Gentiles, which is us, anybody that's not a Jew. So if we're not careful, we will give up and just cross our arms, sit down and say, what's the use? If I gave up every time somebody backslid or every time somebody didn't do what I asked them to do or anything like that, I would have given up. Let's see, I've been... Preaching since 1982. I would have gave up probably in March. Because I, I preached my first message on my birthday. February 27th, 1982. You know what? I would have give up probably February the 28th. Right. But you don't give up just because people don't receive the word. You don't give up just because people don't come to church. You don't give up just because somebody backslides. If a husband backslides, ain't no use for the wife to follow. Right? If the wife backslides, well, I'm going home too. Ain't no use for the husband backslide. You know, it, it, it's, it's something. If one family comes in, they all come in. If one family backslides, it seems like everybody backslides. How's that work? I don't know. But you see, you don't get discouraged the church should never get discouraged. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, uh, we've, we've had the church full. We've had the church down, and we've, we've had a lot of things good happen and all that. But you know what? I don't get discouraged when something bad happens. COVID hit. 30-some people in the church. Pastor, I got COVID. <laughs> okay. You know what? I didn't say, well, praise God. Let's just close the church till COVID is gone. It'd still be closed. And I've said this, this church ain't closing no more. You can stay home if you want to and out of fear and anything, protection, whatever you want to call it. This church is going to have the doors open. If I have to preach the empty pews, I'll preach. Amen. Why? Because you can't quit. Maybe somebody needs to hear the word. Maybe somebody needs to give their life to Jesus. So we must also be generous in proclaiming the word of God to others. Even though the word of God is not always received by the hearers, we are not discouraged. Somebody say, I'm not discouraged. I'm going to faithfully continue to sow year after year, month after month, week after week, because we are confident in the principle of the seed. The principle of the seed is if you plant it in good ground and, and water it, something's going to grow. I had people tell me, say, well, you're 65 years old. I guess you're, re- you're retired now, aren't you? I just laugh. I said, well, let me think about it. I do a daily eye cast five days a week. I do a radio broadcast every Sunday. I do two television broadcasts, Mm, preach at two churches, pastor two churches. Uh, I don't think you call that retired. And the reason I do it is not because I ain't got nothing else to do. I got a little cabin in Tennessee if I want to just quit right now and just say, see you later, gator. Do you know why I keep doing it? Because somebody needs to hear about Jesus Somebody needs Jesus And I'm going to teach these younger guys To do the same thing And they're going to realize Their time is not their time It's God's time And uh, we're going to teach them How to do all these things So that it carries on Carries on Because ain't no use after somebody's doing something To say well that was their thing Daily Cast was what he did. Well, i tell you what it did. There's a woman in England was watching the Daily Cast, repented of her sins, wanting to get baptized in Jesus' name. We got a little chat room in that cast, and she put in there, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. I thought, well, praise God, here I am in East Kentucky. What am I going to do? So I began to... Contact every missionary I could get a hold of. I finally got a hold of one in England. He lived about 30 to 45 minutes from her. And I said, This is no joke because sometimes when you talk to people, say, I got somebody who wants to be baptized over there. It's like, Yeah, right. And I said, They repented through the eye cast, and I explained everything I was doing. And I said, She needs to get baptized. So he went, him and his wife met her and uh, gave her a Bible study, talked to her, made sure she really understood, and they baptized her. And they sent the pictures to us, and we showed them on the screen that Sunday morning showing what God had done through the daily eye cast. So that's just another way to sow seed. I believe that any way we can sow seed, and some people say, well, you shouldn't sow seed on that format or in that media or whatever. I'm going to sow seed any way I can because there's people that need Jesus. And there's people that I, I see them out all the time, and they say, I watch you every Sunday morning on television. They wouldn't be watching if I wasn't on there. Right? That's right. That's right. We've got we to learn that if we're going to sow seed, we're going to have to go into the highways and the hedges. We're going to have to try our best to reach them. I love the Lord, and I, I'm thankful that, that there was seed sown in my life, and it fell into good ground. I wasn't one of them people that was stony ground or, or uh, had briars and thistles and all those things. we got to sow. Still today we have to sow. Always sow good seed. The farmer begins, he gathers the seed he has saved from the prior crop or seed he has purchased from a neighboring farmer to plant. For the farmer, to ensure a healthy crop, he makes sure his seed is sown good, correctly, in the right manner. As sowers, we know the word of God is good seed. Any doctrine other than the truth of the gospel would be bad seed. If any man teach otherwise or consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 3 and 4. If we are faithful to preach the truth from God's word, it will always be good seed. I've never found anything bad in God's word. It's all good. Even when it steps on my toes. Even when it hits me. Even when it's something that, that I didn't want to hear. How many knows your flesh don't want to hear some stuff? That's why we get puffed up. You know, preacher's preaching and the vein's sticking out of his neck. And he's just pounding the desk and he's telling you sin is sin and the wages of sin is death and starts calling sin by name and, and we get puffed up. Oh, he just, he just preaching on me. He just knows where I've been. He knows what I've been doing. I wish I knew everything everybody said I knew. I'd be a know-it-all. Somebody said, I don't know it all. I just play one in life. <laughs> the wayside, stony and thorny soil. That's bad soil to try to grow anything. It will not grow in land that is not conducive to healthy growth some landed on hard packed ground where people walked and birds came and gobbled it up have you ever sown grass seed do you just go out and maybe you do and maybe it works for you do you just go out and start throwing grass seed all over the yard and then say "Yep, yeah, i sowed the grass seed and then go back in and wait for it to grow You really need to prepare your soil They have these little things that's got spikes on them And you need to run over your soil And then you sow And then you put straw over it You know why you put straw over it? It's it's a good shade and holds moisture But it also keeps the fowls of the air from coming in Some of us need to get some straw over us I'm not going to let the fowls of the air come in And take away what God has planted in my life So that's the reason you do it. Now you might be one of these people that's so blessed you just throw out seed and it just grows and you mow it. I tell you what, I I, I tell this story all the time and we're coming to a close. Um, I tell this story all the time. I got this big idea. I was going to kill all the weeds in my yard. (laughs) That's all I had was weeds. I didn't know that. So I went to Lowe's and I got this It says, "Will not kill grass, but will kill all weeds." I thought, "Well, that's what I need. It'll just kill out a little bit of weeds." So I went and I sprayed it over everything, and I scattered it over everything. Got me one of them little uh, spreaders and spread and everything. I noticed the next two or three days, everything started wilting. I said, "Boy, it's working! It's working!" After about a week. There wasn't nothing there in my yard. Nothing but dirt and dead grass. And I'm looking at it. And I thought, what happened to my yard? It took me almost three years to get my yard lined out. And I got a little weeds right now growing. I ain't putting nothing on it. No, I'll mow the weeds. But we need good soil. And we need to prepare the soil. That's why we come to church and the songs are sung. It prepares our heart. And then when the word goes forth, it's planted into our hearts and our minds. And and we just begin to meditate upon the things of God. And we just begin to worship Him and love Him for all of His goodness that He's done to us. And then it begins to produce something. It produces a harvest. It produces the things that are pleasing to the Lord. So I'm going to keep my heart as good as it can get. And uh, fertile ground, basically, for the Word. So in closing today, I pray that you have your heart prepared for the Word. Let the Word go down deep into your heart, getting roots. Now, there's a parable that says about wheat and and tares, right? Wheat and tares. And it says, let them both grow together. That means we ain't supposed to be sitting up here and say, you leave and you stay, you leave, you stay, you leave, you stay. Because what you're going to do, you're going to pull up some wheat. Because down below the soil, they tell me this. I'm not a farmer or a fisherman. But they tell me that the the roots of the tires start intertwining with the roots of the wheat. So that when you pull up the tires, it pulls up the wheat with it. So it's kind of like me trying to kill the weeds in my yard, and I killed everything. The Word will give us life. Don't allow the cares of this life to choke out the Word in your life, because this world will keep telling you all the things that they're doing and how much fun they're having and how great it is to have liberty and not be under the bondage of no man. I'm going to tell you, one of these days when the Lord comes back and the trumpet of God shall sound, it's going to be a good thing that you let seed be planted in your life. It's going to be a great thing that you are ready for the rapture. It's going to be a good thing that you are a child of God. Amen, amen. I pray the lessons blessed you this morning. Good to see everyone child and every adult here today, Uh, we're going to turn it over now to Brother Dwayne, I guess is going to do our transition, and we got some buckets,
2: everybody knows what these buckets are for by now, I guess,
0: all right, (laughs) what about you,
2: it reminds me of a story that my That my dad used to like to tell about the prayer box, knocking it over and seeing all the names fly out. Amen. <laughs>
1: Everybody
2: knows what these buckets are for. Somebody, somebody.
1: Somebody he go.
2: He's gonna get a pie in your face. <laughs> Woo! Amen. But it's going it's going for a good thing, ain't it? Hallelujah. How many enjoyed that lesson this morning? I really did. Amen. That was a good lesson. A little bit of teaching, a little bit of preaching. And i tell you something Dad taught me a long time ago. I wondered when we went out fishing when I was a young boy, how I could throw in the same spot, Brother McKinney, like he was talking about. And I could be throwing the same type of bait. And they'd catch the fish, Brother Larry, and I wouldn't. But it's all in how you present it. And how we present ourselves to this world, the bait being the Word of God, is going is to reflect you know, on how many people we bring in. I can present myself to this world like he was talking about. In a bad way, I ain't going to be able to reach nobody, bro. Amen? We got to live it, don't we? We got to live the Word if we want anybody else to to desire the Word. (laughs) Hallelujah. I didn't mean to do all that. Anybody got any birthdays this morning? Any anniversaries? Here they come, brother. Bucket, we're going to do sow and seed, but we've also got these buckets for the brother Jim's pie. I mean, uh, for the pies. ain't nothing wrong with having a little fun giving, are they? Huh? Amen. I enjoy it. The Bible says it's better to give than to receive. Amen. Hallelujah. And i to be blessed with him, wouldn't you? Hallelujah. Let's give the children a good, a good hand clap. They're learning something. How to give to, to the Lord. How to give to the church. Not just me, It ain't all about money, but it's about time. Brother McKinney was talking about this this morning, you know. It's important to give of your time. He can't do it all, though it seems sometimes he is. He can't do him and Sister McKinney can't do it all. Ephesians four and verse thirty. I'll try to be quick. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Another place talks about quenching the spirit, but right here it's talking about grieving the spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking, be put away from you. Let all these things, all malice, be put away. Be kind hearted one to another. How are we going to win this world if we're not kind hearted? I never will forget seeing on a hat Acts 2.38 or hell. And I believe in Acts 2.38. I'm an Acts 2.38 preacher, Bud McKinney. but it's all about how we present ourselves once again. James chapter 1, and I'm trying to be quick. If any man among you seem to be, seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue. You know this is the most powerful weapon that we have. We can either use it for God. Amen. or we can use it for the devil. One last place, Psalms 39 and 1 says, I said I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. Listen to this. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. You think it ain't important what we say and do in front of the world? You think it ain't important? You know, we can get down the road and we can talk about our church. We can talk about the pastor and we might even be right about sometimes the things we're saying but saints of God will destroy our witness with the world. It is important what you say. We should lift up one another and be, and be kind-hearted, amen? How, how do you think we're going to win our family in this world if we're all the time talking about and putting down the church? It ain't going to happen. They ain't going to come, amen? So it's important how we present ourselves, amen? How did you come today? What did you come to do? I come to lift up the name of the Lord. Amen. You're going to lift him up with us? Are you going to praise him? Come on up here and do it.
1: For anyone who's ever seen the mountain of their sins just disappear. For anyone who's ever felt the hand of heaven reach down through their fears and dry their tears. For any life once empty that now finds itself alive and full of song. Songs, then you'll understand the reason the saints
3: of god
1: may carry
3: on so if i shout No i'm shouting from a heart that's been washed clean if i
1: Or anyone who knows the hope that keeps them moving on through troubled days. Or anyone who knows they've got a future and a hope beyond the grave. Every life's a different story. How he led us out of darkness into knows the hope that keeps them moving on through troubled days. For anyone who knows they've got a future and a hope beyond the grave. Every life's a different story, how he led us out of darkness into The silence, every person chance to testify. Oh somebody testify with a shout. If I shout, no, no I'm, I'm shouting. shouting from a heart that's been washed clean. Got to keep on Carry on now my brother Carry on now my sister Carry on now my brother Brother, carry on now my sin. With a shout, come on, lift your voice unto the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus.
0: Oh, we got so many people that need a touch from Jesus. Our prayer list grows. We want to remember, Sister, to in prayer. The Lord's going to do something great. We want to remember Shane... Kiefer and his family brother Shane's dad passed away so let's remember the David Kiefer family let's remember Braden Anderson and Cohen Hunt and I know that there's needs in this building and we signify that by raising our hands could you raise your other hand right now and just begin to call on Jesus oh we call on you Lord because you're a healer You're the only one that can bring healing to our bodies. You're mightier than the doctors. You're mightier than the specialists. You're mightier than the hospitals. Lord, we place it all in your hands. Every name, every person, every situation. We lay it in your hands. We ask, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way. That you would get glory. That there's going to be testimony and testifying of it. Healings and deliverance and help in the time of trouble because Lord you are our Jehovah Jireh you are the God that provides and Lord we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus
1: Amen
4: yes. created from dust us higher you stepped into time you laid down your life to save us you took on our shame on the cross it was laid now you're taking us home.
0: Somebody shout, I am forever changed. He didn't change me just for a week. When the Lord touches you, he don't just change you for a month or two. He changes you forever. You can't walk into the presence of the Lord without having a thought. I've got to change my ways. Even the prophet, when he was in the presence of the Lord, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't even deserve to be in the presence of the Lord. But the Lord said, that's okay. I'll get some coals off the fire, off the altar. I'll touch your lips and you'll be made clean. There's some great things in the Word of God that lets us know. We may have come today with problems and circumstances and all sorts of things that we just wish we didn't have to deal with. But the Lord says, I'll take you as you are, but you're going to leave different. I'll accept you as you are, but you're going to leave this place different. Hallelujah. We're going to ask our ushers to come. We're going to take up today's offering. The Lord is good. And if he's been good to you, give in the offering. And I know if you give in the offering, the Lord will bless. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your presence. Thank you, Lord, for all of those that are going to give today. We know that the offering and the tithes that come into this church, Lord, are able to send missionaries in foreign fields, able to expand our departments here locally, and able to help us to do things that we normally wouldn't do, but you have allowed us. And I pray, Lord, that you will just bless each and every one in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: in your life to where your lungs, something has happened. Amen. I got in a place, Brother McKinney, to to where I couldn't get a good breath. And I said, Satan, sometimes you got to speak to him. Amen. Hallelujah. And tell him the liar and the failure that he is. Amen. I said, Satan, I need my lungs to glorify the Lord. I need them to lift up his name. Amen. I need them, amen, to carry out his will and his word in my life. And it's his breath. And he touched me. You see, Brother Chris, if you cry out, he hears the cries of his people. He sees every tear. Amen. Listen to this, Acts chapter 16, and verse 25 says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed.
5: God's listening to
2: you even at midnight. He never sleeps. Hallelujah. And they sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Amen. Amen. God's come today to break some chains. I proclaim it in the name of Jesus. I've wanted to sing this song for a while. Amen. And the Lord kept changing our hearts. Amen. But how many will stand with me right now and proclaim that first power in the name of Jesus? Not my name and not yours?
0: Hallelujah, God is good, right? All the time, God is good. I want to again reiterate, we appreciate all the musicians and singers, all who brought food, encouraging words, whatever you did for the family of Sister Tito, they certainly appreciate that, and uh, we, we appreciate this church uh, stepping up in a time of need Uh, So that a family could be ministered to. And Wednesday, last Wednesday, if you missed Wednesday, I'm telling you, you missed a powerful service. Why? Because we baptized three
1: people. Come on, that ought to get more of a response than that. Amen, amen, amen.
0: I'm glad somebody said, I need to go down in his name. Had three go down in his name. And I've, I've been preaching and we've been studying and we've been teaching. And all the ministry's been joining in on this about revival. And uh, we want to have revival. Amen. And we're going to have revival. In spite of whatever the devil, <laughs> devil don't want no
1: revival around here. Well the devil don't want no revival around here, but we don't care what the devil don't allow. We're gonna have revival anyhow. Oh that come on.
0: Somebody somebody's got the Holy Ghost or to respond to something like that. Brother, we're gonna try it again. We're gonna go in the uh, give give me the there it's on the sheet.
1: We'll just go with that that way you can hang in there with it.
0: I don't know what you came to do, but I'm gonna sing a song, and you're supposed to praise
1: him. It ain't praising me, it ain't praising me, it's praising him. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost down in my soul. Somebody give a praise, somebody give a praise. <laughs> Between the pages Of an old family Bible I found dates of birth Deaths and old revivals Then it came up on a page It was written by a feeble hand It said this is my last request These are my funeral plans Well when I die Let me die speaking in tongues Let it ring in my ears. All of these songs I've sung. Lord, give me strength to praise you. Speak your name one more time. Then have your angels carry me over to the other side. Lord, I've lived a long life. Now my race is run. Oh, I can't wait to leave here. I got nothing left undone. I got everything in order. Tell my children not to cry. Cause I left them a road map They can meet me in the by and by Oh, when I die, let me die Speaking in tongues Let it ring in my ears All of these songs I've sung Give me strength to praise you Speak your name one more time Then have your angels carry me Over to the other side Go tell my friends and neighbors Tell them not to weep for me. I'm going to live forever. I've finally been set free. Go tell them not to mourn or to miss me when I'm gone. They could shout all around my graveside cause it ain't my final home. For when I die, let me die speaking in tongues. Let it ring in my ears all of these songs I've sung. Lord, give me strength to praise you. Speak your name one more time. Then have your angels carry me over to the other side. Go tell my friends and neighbors. Tell them not to weep for me. I'm going to live forever. I've finally been set free. Go tell them not to mourn. Or to miss me when I'm gone They could shout all around my graveside Cause it ain't my final home Well when I die Let me die speaking in tongues Let it ring in my ears All of these songs I've sung Lord give me strength to praise you Speak your name one more time Then have your angels carry me Over on the other side left undone. I got everything in order. Tell my children not to cry, cause I left them a the road my, They can meet me in the by and by. Oh, when I die, let me die speaking in tongues. Let it ring in my ears, all of these songs I've sung. Lord, give me strength to pray Let's give the Lord a praise Uh, Back in the day, they had old family Bibles I still remember
0: getting in the old family Bible Usually laid on the coffee table You could open it up and you could see people that got married You could see when they got married. You could see dates of people that died. You could see a lot of handwritten notes of revivals and scripture and how that it impacted their life. And.
1: I tell you, I believe we're living in a generation that just don't care no more. But I believe that somebody ought to say, "Wait a minute! I got something. I got to leave my generation under me. I got to show them a road map. I got to tell them about Jesus. I got to help them understand how good God is." Somebody, give a praise unto our God. Come on, you can praise him better than that. Lift up the name of Jesus. Shout his wonderful name. He is worthy, he is worthy. Oh,
0: hallelujah. To our guests, welcome to Pentecost. We just have church here. Glad you're here and hope that you can find a home here. Amen. Three baptized on Wednesday. And I'm telling you, I am looking forward to some great things happening because once the Lord begins to move and the water begins to be troubled, it is time for us to get serious about Jesus. I know you're supposed to be serious all the time, but when you see a move of God and people start giving their life to Jesus and people start coming out of the world and out of sin, the church ought to be rejoicing over that and say,
1: Oh, another one. Hell lost another one.
0: Hell lost another one. Well, we're going to turn the service over. Brother DeBarge is going to preach for us today, and uh, we're going to turn it over to him. So, Brother DeBarge, to the congregation.
5: Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come on, somebody. Come on, I don't know if this microphone is on. I said let's give the Lord some praise. We're not giving pastor praise. We're not giving Caleb praise. We're giving the Lord some praise. amen. Because if you have known the Lord for any length of time, if you have had any experience with the Lord, you understand that he is worthy of our praise. His capabilities, his his talents and his skills, his love exceeds all that we can begin to comprehend and understand. He is the God that we choose to serve. He deserves everything that we have. But he doesn't need anything that we have to offer. But yet he's merciful enough, he's kind enough to say, if you want me, you know where to find me. And an altar, doesn't matter if it's in a church, It can be an altar made in your car, it can be an altar made in your home, but make sure you have an altar to where you can find the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Gloria, I I appreciate everyone being here today. I know it is not for me, of course. I appreciate you being here gathered in the presence of the Lord together with a like-mind, soul, individual desire to be touched by the Lord. Amen. Today, I want to talk to you uh, out of the Scripture text, Matthew 20. And as you're flipping there, I will collect myself. Matthew 20, starting at verse 1. Has anyone ever known the, the designation that they wanted to go to but didn't know how to get there? Didn't know the, the best route. Didn't know the, the, the best way to go about it. You see, that's me today. The Lord has laid a message on my heart. He has given me uh, the message. He has given me the meat But I believe he is telling me to step out of the boat and trust him that he's going to lead us to where where he's wanting to take us. amen. Because I, I, I have notes, I have the word, but I don't have clear direction. But I know where the Lord's trying to go today. So if you will, bear with me, trust in the Lord, and let him lead us to where he's trying to take us today. Once again, Matthew 20. Starting at 1 down to verse 16, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the vineyard. Verse 2 says, And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third day and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. Verse 6 says, And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? Verse 7 says, They say unto him, because no man hath hired us, he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, excuse me, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their heir, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came and were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. Verse 11 says, And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, that, or, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden of the heat of the day. Church, we're, we're bearing the burden of the heat of the day. Verse 13 says, "But he answered one of the and said, "Friend, I do know, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take, thy, take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto the last even as unto thee. Is, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye is evil because I am good?" So the last, last verse, so the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few are chosen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I ask, Lord, that you begin to move so mightily in this place, God, that you begin to saturate this place today with your spirit, with your anointing, with your boldness, God, I pray for your word to be delivered and for us to respond accordingly. Begin to move so mightily in this place, God, that people cannot sit still under the conviction power of your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, and the church said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated, but not silent. See, as I was preparing this lesson, I was I was studying, I was reading, I was praying, and uh, while I was doing that, at one point, my wife and I were sitting outside. It was a beautiful day, and, and we were sitting in the sun in our lawn chairs, and we were just talking, kind of having conversations about the Lord and, and what He's revealed to us in the Spirit and through, through Scripture. Thank you. At different times, and, and I, was, I don't normally tell her what I'm going to be preaching about but I, I was talking to her about the premise, about what I felt led to preach. And we were just kind of talking back and forth, and we were conversing. And and I was thrown back to whenever I was about 16 or 17 years old. And uh, I was at a youth camp. at a I was 16, 17 years old. It was a, it was a youth camp I'd been going to for years. I'd become... Uh, kind of well known amongst the workers, I grew up with a lot of the people there, and this particular year i was a, I was elected as a a candidate for camper of the year and and in Texas district that's a big ordeal. and to me that was that was the goal. I wanted to be camper of the year. My cousin ethan he he was also elected, and my friend coy he was also elected and a few others that I knew, but there was one individual I didn't recognize. And he wore blue jeans and a t-shirt where all of us had nice suits on. We had ties for every different service. We were prepared. It's like, hey, I know who's not getting it, right? As I was talking to my wife about this, I began to to shed tears because I realized just how selfish, how much of a punk I, I was in that time. You see, I had all the answers whenever they would ask the questions, the committee Now, why should you be the camper of the year? See, I knew who I was. I was someone that has grandpas for preachers. I have a father that's a Sunday school teacher. I have a mother that's a Sunday school superintendent. I know who I was. I'm a legacy. So I begin to tell people. I begin to tell the committee, this is why I should be elected as camper of the year. Of course, I think that I should get it. And we're standing on that platform at the end of the last service, and they announce the individual wearing the blue jeans and the t-shirt, that's your camper of the year. And my pride began to swell up. Begin to wonder why. Why does this individual get something that I feel I deserve? Again, church, I recognize I was selfish. I was, I was a punk. Someone began to talk about his. His testimony, that individual used to be a drug runner for a cartel. He handled things that no 16-year-old should ever have to deal with. He saw things that no man should ever have to experience. But yet whenever he got in the presence of the convicting power of the Holy Ghost, began to change who he was. And because he knew who he was after he had been changed by the presence of the Holy Ghost, he had repented, he had been baptized in Jesus' name, and he had come up speaking in tongues. Because he knew who he was, he was able to stand up on a platform wearing blue jeans that might not even have been his, wearing a T-shirt that he might have, might have been the only one he had, standing next to a bunch of selfish people, wearing suits and nice dress shoes. But he was able to do it because he knew who he was. He was lucky. He was was loved. He was able to experience the love of God. That's the reason he was chosen for camper of the year. Because he had a true understanding of who he was. Today that's what I want to talk to us about. Who are you? Who are you? Are you? It should be a question that rings in each of our ears for the rest of our lives. Because it is a question that we're going to be asked. It's a question that we're going to be asked, whether it's by our friends or our family, it's a question that we're going to be asked regardless of where we are in life. Who are you? In our scripture for this morning, the very first couple of verses begins to draw our attention to the desired message to be taken away from Jesus' parable. I appreciate the, the red words in the Word of God. Because Jesus was speaking. And not just to the congregation of that day, but for the congregations to gather for years to come. We read back in our scripture, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man That is in a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers a penny for a day, he sent them into his vineyard. What the Lord Jesus was teaching those that would listen was that this story that I am about to share, the parable about the day laborers and men willing to work in the field, this is how the church is. This is how the church of today and the church of tomorrow and the church of yesterday is. There are laborers. There should be laborers in the church. And each day and each hour there should be laborers being added to the church. There should be laborers being added to the harvesting field, to the vineyards. Because it is time for us to look up and realize that the harvest is now that the fields are wide and ready to be harvested, as Scripture says. Church, those of us that have been in the church and invested in the Word and dedicated to the Lord for years, whether you grew up in church, in a church that preached truth or, or the Lord called you while you were living a life of sin, if you have lived for the Lord and have been working for Him as you should, you should be doing as a witnesses. We are, looking, we are the laborers that were acquired in the morning. I want to slow down and, and break that down for a moment. If you have been in church for any length of time, if you've been saved, according to the plan of salvation in the Word of God, not just shaking a pastor's hand and saying, hey, I'm saved and I'm part of your church. Okay, that's not what the Word of the Lord says. It does say confess with your mouth, but it does not say that is the only step. We understand through the word of God that the plan of salvation is I must repent of my sins. Realize that I'm going down the wrong road. I'm going to hit a 180, go the other direction. Make sure that I'm going the direction that the Lord is. I'm, I'm pressing toward the mark. Come on, somebody. I'm pressing toward the mark. That's repentance. That's repentance. I'm repenting, I'm baptized in the name of Jesus, as preached on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, as preached throughout all the book of Acts, and, and experienced all throughout the New, the New Testament. That's baptism. So repentance, baptism, in the name of Jesus, and the reception of the Holy Ghost, evident by the speaking of tongues. Someone's like, how, how do you know that that's for everybody? Because history indicates that it is. Out of 120 in the upper room, 120 received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evident by the speaking of tongues. Out of the 12 that were the disciples and the followers of John, whenever they were rebaptized in the name of Jesus, because John baptized with of repentance, they were rebaptized correctly, showing that it is important to be rebaptized in the name of Jesus if you are baptizing correctly. They received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and out of 12, out of 12, they all begin to speak in tongues. History continues to show us the plan of salvation is how it was supposed to be done. The Lord come down. He He gave us experiences. He taught parables for us to understand who we need to be, how to structure our lives. So whenever you are asked the hard question, who are you, you're able to answer man. You have to get a grasp as to who you are and where you fit into the plan of the Lord. The end of the Lord's message in this scripture states to many, many are called but few are chosen. The sad reality and the sad truth of this situation or of this matter is that many are called to fulfill God's purpose in their life, but many choose to fulfill that purpose. Or many fail to choose to fulfill that purpose. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few choose to answer. Growing up in church, it was easy to look up at the pastor, and he was preaching as pastor states, till the, the vein in his neck sticks out, till the sweat's running down their, their forehead, and they're wiping it away, and they keep on pressing on. And you're sitting there, you're growing up, and you're listening to this. And yeah, that's a normal Sunday. That's, that's, that's our church. To the young people that sit in the back of the, the church, sit in the pews and, and talk amongst themselves, you need to know who you are in Christ. Because there's going to come a day that people in this church are not here to tell you. That your mama and your daddy might not be here to tell you who you are in Christ. And let me, know, let me tell you something right now. You're not going to make it into heaven on your daddy's coattail or your mama's skirt tail. Because the Lord's not going to allow you to step up on the day of judgment and say, okay, who was your mama and who was your daddy? Who was your grandfather that preached for many years? truth. He's in here, but who are you? He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. That's why you need to make a point right now that every time you get down on your knees, every time you step into an altar, every time you lift your hands and lift your voice, you need to let the Lord know who's calling because you're going to say, God, I want you to know right now because if I make sure that you know who I am here, if I make sure you know who I am on this earth, there's no way that whenever I get to those pearly gates, I'm getting turned away. I want God to know who I am. Even if other people misjudge me, even if other people don't understand who I am and they begin to talk about me in bad ways, that's fine. Let them do it. I don't care. As long as God knows my heart, as long as God sees the sincerity of my prayers and knows who I am, that's what I desire. Because in the end, that's what matters. We are laborers sent to the ministry field to harvest lost souls and lead them to Christ. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying and say, oh, that's not me. Just because you're not called to stand behind a pulpit and hold a microphone does not mean that you are not called to witness to people and bring them out of a life of sin. They might be more willing to listen to you than someone standing behind this pulpit. They might have been hurt by a minister, but you're their brother and their sister. As long as you know who you are, you're able to help them. I grew up with a young man. I won't call his name. He was like a brother. He was like a a cousin. Anytime we, we went up to where he went to church, we were like best friends picked up right where we left off. But I noticed something over the years that he was an individual that would change according to the setting. If we were at a basketball game, hey, he was a hooper. He was someone that liked to play basketball. If we were at a football game, you best believe he was the quarterback. If we were uh, at church, he was the first one to the altar. Nothing wrong with that. If we were in praise team and we were singing, he was singing the loudest. What I am getting at and what I gathered from experiencing that over the years was that he was someone that did not know who he was. He was someone that wanted to be portrayed as everything cool. He wanted to be portrayed as everything that people thought was, was all right. He's a cool cat. I would rather everyone look at me and say that I'm weird, cocoa for cocoa puffs, but know that I live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. I want people to know who I am. You should want people to know who you are. And that should be answered by the way that you live, not by the words that you speak. We are laborers sent to this ministry field to do the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus teaches us this in Luke 14 and 23, and it says, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and into the hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be halfway filled, only filled with the ones that I like. Only filled with the ones that smell pleasant. Only filled with the ones that are completely healthy. Absolutely not. He said, compel them to come in that my house might be filled. Church, this church is not filled. These pews still have open spots. We can squeeze together and get more people in on these pews. I get it. There's people out here that's going to reject us whenever we offer to pull them into the house of the Lord. It's part of it. God prepared us for it through his word. I've experienced the rejection and it hurts. But it does not diminish God's value. It does not change the mission that he has placed in our lives. The calling that he's placed on us. It doesn't change who he is because people reject him. Whenever you walk away from the presence of the Lord and you walk away from a church because your church hurt or somebody in the church spoke wrongly about you, you're not hurting the church, you're hurting yourself. You're not walking away from these four walls, you're walking away from the presence of God. The Word of God says that no man can pluck you out of the hand of God, but you can walk yourself right out of His provision. You see, we may have been made in God's image in physicality, but when Adam and Eve partook in the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, it changed the way that we think as humans. It opened our understanding. It opened our minds to that there are good people and that there are bad people in this world. See, we are Holy Ghost-filled saints, we're sitting on a pew and judging a person because they don't belong to our church. We sit on a pew and, and we're laborers within the church. but we judge people that just show up for a meal. Listen, I get it. People need to pull their own weight. But if someone's showing up for a meal, they're showing up. We have our hair so stiff with hairspray, I'm guilty. Our clothes are so starching. and our our hind ends are glued to the pew. Lord forbid someone actually move or be moved by the Holy Ghost. We've gotten church down pat. We understand how it's supposed to operate. We know the the order of service. Church, we have a start time. We best not have an end time. We best not be looking at our watches and saying he best in by 12 o'clock because i got to get down to the Mexican food restaurant. Whenever you put a limitation of time on the preacher, you're putting a limitation on the time that God has to operate and to move. There's nothing wrong with a, a fast message, a powerful message, Screaming and shouting and hollering if it's of the Lord. And there is nothing wrong with slowing down your message to make sure that it is sinking in. As long as it's from the Lord. The question is, who are you? Now I ask this, who are you to judge the single mother coming in with her children? Who are you to judge the dirty coal miner that comes in still stained from work? Who are you to look at a child at the altar praying and claim that they're just there for show? My friend might have been the first one up here to to, to worship the Lord because he wanted everybody to see him, but hey, that's exactly where he needed to be. Someone can, a, a child can be mimicking. The praise that they have seen. They can can mimic someone that has been worshiping and feel the presence of God. So if a child that does not fully grasp who God is comes up to this altar, if they're playing, get them. If they are worshiping or mimicking worship, God can use that. He can show them who he is. And as they grow up, because they have an experience as to who he is, they now know who they are. A child of God that is covered by the blood of the lamb. Amen. And that is because if a parent loves them enough and, and their Sunday school teacher loves them enough, they're teaching them, it is important to love God. It's important to be baptized in Jesus' name. There was, a, there was a little boy in Sunday school, and I won't call his name, but it was just a couple Sundays ago. We were talking about Solomon and, and how wise he was and how the angel asked him, said, what do you want, I, or, or I'll give you anything. The Lord asked him, what do you want, I'll give you anything. He could have asked for anything. and Of course, I said, well, for an example, I want a bass boat. That's what I would want. My wife said, well, I I would like a a nice big house with a big porch. And this child, knowing who he is, with all sincerity, he said, I want to be baptized. And I stopped what I was doing, and I looked up at him. And and she stopped what she was doing, reading the, the, the lesson, and she looked up at him because we felt it. Whenever someone is real, and someone is sincere, and someone knows who they are, you know it. Amen. Amen. You know when someone's faking, but you know when someone's real. That child wanted an experience with the Holy Ghost. He began to cry. He began to weep because he knew who he was. He said, why do you want to be baptized? He said, so that my sins would be washed away and that I would have a closer relationship with Jesus. I said, buddy, that's the best answer that anyone could give. It's an answer of somebody that knows what they want, who they are. I just pray that that individual grows up being taught by their parents, as the Word of God says, Teach them, you know, as they're young, teach them. I'm losing my scripture, losing my word. Raise them in the way they shall go, so that when they're old, they shall not depart from it. Amen. That individual, that child has been taught. And as he is growing, he's learning what is important and what is not. His answer was a lot better than my bass boat. His answer was a lot better than a nice house, church, because those things are going to perish and those things are going to go away. But what he was asking for, because he knew who he is and he he knew who God is, what he was asking for is going to lead him to eternity in the presence of God. The question that I'm asking once again is, "Who are you? You're a servant." you're a worker, you're a mouthpiece, and you are a vessel for the presence of the Lord to have his way. For anyone that was not clear before I stated that on who you're supposed to be, if you're a child of God that's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that's repented of your sins, that's been baptized in Jesus' name, and if you're not, the opportunity is now. The day of salvation is now. Amen. You can be, we'll, be, we'll baptize you today put you down under the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, and you can come up speaking in tongues. We're called to be servants, to be mouthpieces, to be vessels, but to be moved by the the presence of God. The problem is we're churches nowadays, not just this church, but churches all across this world, that are moved by emotion instead of moved by God's Spirit, if we're moved at all. Guarantee you, if I was to walk to some of these pews, there would be permanent indentions of people's backsides because they haven't moved. How can you sit in the presence of the Lord and not be moved? It's because you don't know who you are. If you're blessed enough that you are in a church and have repented of your sins and have been baptized in the name of Jesus and have received the gift of the Holy Ghost evident with the speaking in tongues, you are just that. You're blessed. That does not make you any better than a drunk that you see stumbling down the road that makes you their opportunity to experience the love of Jesus Christ. We complain that revival has not yet come. But let me, let me let you in on a little secret, church. Revival is sitting on the street corners holding signs and asking for money. Revival is in the convenience stores buying the 24-pack for the weekend. Revival is the single mother struggling with her mental state. The problem is that we are so fixated on who they are, we lose sight on who we are. Wheat and tares, this pastor was talking about in our Sunday school lesson. Walking out in this world, you're going to see wheat and tares intertwined. You're going to see husbands and wives that are wheat and tares and they're combined. Don't try and separate one from the other because you're going to kill both. Begin to, to plant, begin to harvest, begin to cultivate. Both together because in Revelations we, we gather the understanding that Jesus, that God is separating the wheat from the tares and the sheep from the goats. He's the one that has the power to begin to separate those things. We do not. We are simply harvesters and laborers of the field. We're not here or called to be judges, juries, and executioners. Luke 7 says, judge not, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. I need to show people compassion because Lord knows I want it whenever I mess up. As do each of us. As long as we recognize who we are as servants, we will be all right. And we will continue to see this house grow. We will continue to see revival as we are seeing. But first, you need to recognize who God is, and he will reveal who you are. Every day, we are asked the question, who are you? And every day, by the way that we live our lives, we answer that question. It might be your friends asking you or who you are by placing you in a situation where you got to choose good or evil, popularity or the right thing. It might be your boss or your coworkers asking you who you are by encouraging you to do something that you know God does not approve of. Whether you've talked about it. He works with a bunch of rough men. Some of them couldn't care less that he's a man of God. They're going to poke and they're going to prod and they're going to try and cause him to mess up. They're going to try and cause him To lose out with God. Unfortunately, that's the world that we're living in, church. But as long as you know who you are, and as long as you know the foundation on which you stand, you shall not be swayed. Brother Keaton, can I ask you to come help me? His eyes always get real wide whenever I ask him to come help me. I'm not going to have him stand on the word because that would be wrong. I want you to stand and come. Stand behind the word. We understand, even from young children we're taught, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the word for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Why? Because, stand right behind that, brother. Because that is our foundation as to who we are as Christians. Whenever someone says, why do I have to be baptized in the name of Jesus? He's able to stand firm and respond because he stands on the word of God. He's able to say, hey, Acts 2.38. Hey, the story about Cornelius in in his house. Whenever Peter came and, and was sent by the Lord and preached, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's able to stand firm on the foundation that he's been taught from a young age. And as I come along, his friend be like, hey, let's go, let's go grab a drink. You think that the adversary is going to hit you in the face and let you know what he's trying to do? No. He's sneaky. He's a liar and the, of, the father of lies. Amen. So he's not going to come up and get right in your face and let you know his plan. And he's not going to fight you if he's sitting on the couch next to you. If you're living a life of sin... And then you get in church and all of a sudden your world starts coming, falling apart. I had a young lady tell me that she got baptized and she started trying to live for the Lord. She's like, why is it now that everyone's coming against me? She said, it's because you're going the right direction. Everyone else is going the other direction. It's because at the time you were living a life of sin because you did not know who you were. And the devil was sitting on the couch beside you. He didn't care that you were messing up. In fact, he was encouraging it. But now that you know who you are, you know who Christ is, and you're trying to stand on a foundation, he's coming against you with all that he's got. Why? Because the devil is afraid. The devil is afraid of who you are in Christ. He doesn't care who you are in this world. But, like I said, he's going to be sneaky. He's going to come up behind you. He's going to try and push you off of that foundation. He's going to be tempting you with the things in front of you. He's a coward. He's not going to stand in front of you and tell you, hey, I'm, I'm trying to distract you from where the Lord's trying to take you. He's going to come up behind you and say, you know, that preacher really doesn't care about you. You know, that preacher's not talking to you. You know, that preacher's lying. How many times have you heard that in your head? As long as a preacher is preaching word, which you should know because you stand on the foundation of the word, you can trust your preacher, you can trust your pastor. So whenever the devil comes up, he's trying to be buddy-buddy with you. L- let me tell you something. Everybody that calls your friend is not your friend. Just because they come up and, and, and you scratch your back, that's just them trying to shove the knife in deeper. You need to have spiritual discernment We need to have conviction That's the problem a lot of churches Are trying to operate without conviction And we need to be moved By the presence of God And not by the things That claim to be it I could be A spirit trying to claim Hey I'm the presence of the Lord I need you to go go down to this girl's house Because she really needs a shoulder to cry on Listen. A young man dealing with flesh, he might want that to be the presence of the Lord. But we understand because of the Word of God, we understand because of spiritual conviction that that's not the Lord. If something comes to you and you feel like it's the Lord, you best check yourself, check the Word of God, check the foundation that you're standing on, and check who you are. I appreciate it, brother. Every single day we're asked that question, who are you? And every single day you can live a life according to God's word and pleasing to his desires and to his spirit and to his will. But if even one day you slip up and you decide to fall into what this world calls cool, if you decide to let down your guard and and show people what they want to see instead of who you know you are, That's all it takes for you to lose the power of your witness with somebody. If you lose your witness, you've lost everything. You've lost all opportunity to help the Lord's house grow. That's why it's important to know who you are in Christ. Even whenever someone makes you angry, you can't cuss them out because you've just lost all of your your witness with them. Or anybody around you. Been giving a guy a Bible study, and then you sit there and cuss out someone that cuts you off on the road. You think he's going to listen to you about Christ? No. You have to have spiritual integrity. Say, so even though I could do it and nobody would know. I could drink, and nobody would know. I could snort it, and nobody would know. I could, I could judge them, and nobody would know. I could kill myself, and nobody would even care. I'm preaching to somebody right now. When these thoughts run through your mind, you need to straighten up your back. You need to puff out your chest. And with boldness and authority, you let whoever it is that needs to be reminded Remind them just exactly who you are. You are a born again child of God that fears the Lord enough to love him through all diversity, through all trial and tribulation. Remind whoever it is that needs to know who you are. If, if your friends need to be reminded, if your family needs to be reminded, if your spouse, your cousin, your grandparents, or your coworkers need to be reminded, if yourself, if it's you yourself, that needs to be reminded, let it be known who you are. Somebody needs to grab the, uh, grab the devil by the nape of the neck like a dog that he is and remind him who you are. In fact, that's an insult to dogs because I like some dogs. You need to stand up for who you are in Christ because the devil likes to try and get in our minds and and make us think that he has more power than he does. Come on, church, I don't want to lose you. I know I'm going a little long, but we need to remind the devil exactly who he is. We need to come up behind him and grab him by the neck and show him how it feels. Say, listen to me, devil. You don't have any power over me. You don't have any power over my family. You don't have any power over my child. You don't have power over my marriage, my finances, over my job, anything. Devil, you don't even have the keys to your own house. He's sitting there trying to convince me to, to curse God and die. But of course, again, he's a coward. He's not going to show up as himself. He's going to show up as David's wife, Michael, that showed up in the door whenever he was coming home to bless his house after he had had a great church service. She said, oh, how great and you know, marvelous was the king dancing, in his gar- renting his garments before all the ladies. That was the, that was the devil trying to, to depress what the Lord had built up. But if you do not know who you are in Christ, and you do not have spiritual discernment, you're not going to recognize that. You're going to think that it is flesh. But we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darknesses and powers of on high. As long as we know who we are in Christ, it does not matter who comes against us. Why? Because it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It doesn't say that the weapon's not going to be formed, and it doesn't say that the weapon's not going to be used, but it says it's not going to prosper as long as I know who I am. As long as I'm acknowledging that I am part of the righteous, I can run into the Lord because he is my refuge that the righteous run into. You cannot be straddling the fence and not certain as to who you are Otherwise, you're going to fall off on the wrong side. I've been born again through baptism. The old man has been laid down in a watery grave, and a new creature in Christ has risen. We have to remind the devil, devil, you want to know who I am? I am a man, but I know who my help is. We need to remind the devil, hey, if we can talk to Jesus just like he's our best friend, we need to talk to the devil just like he's our enemy that's trying to steal from us. If someone shows up in your house in the midnight hour and they're trying to take everything that you own, you're not going to sit there passively sitting on the couch and say, oh, please don't do that. I don't like it. You're going to stand up for what you have, what you own. You're going to stand up to protect your family. You're going to stand up to protect all that... Come on, somebody. You're not going to let somebody sit there and take from you what you have worked so hard to obtain. Listen, church, it is work to obtain and to keep the presence of God in your life. Why? Because it is a constant battle between your flesh and the spirit to do the right thing. So we need to remind the devil, you want to know who I am? I'm a man that knows who my help is. I'm a man that knows my hope is in Jesus. I'm a man that prays over his family as I wake, as I go to work, and as I go to bed. I'm a man that puts my faith in God's diagnosis over man's. I think someone missed that. I said, I'm a man that puts my faith in God's diagnosis over man's. I have enough faith to put my trust in Jesus that if he's going to give me cancer, hey, he can take away cancer. If he's going to give me marital problems, he's going to show me how to fix those marital problems. If I'm going to get in a financial bind, he's going to help me fix those financial binds. Amen. I know who I am because I know who God is. I'm a man that knows that the world is not my home, and I am just passing through. As Pastor was singing the song, we heard they can dance all around my grave because it is not my final home. Hey, this world, I'm just passing through it. I'm trying to live a good life while I'm here, but making sure that it's according to God's word. I'm trying to make sure that I'm taking as many people in the harvest with me as I go because I'm a laborer. To answer the question about who Caleb DeBarge is, I'm hoping you can look at my everyday walk and see who I am. So whenever someone asks who you are, I hope they can look at your everyday life. Look at your Monday, your Tuesday, your Thursday and your Friday, not just Wednesday and Sunday. I hope they can look at your life and say, I know who that person is. As someone that devotes themselves to Christ. as someone that, that separates themselves according to God's word. That's someone that holds a standard, and they know who they are. I, where I work at, we have a check system. If someone does something wrong, we have to check them for it. Profanity is a big one. They know not to cuss around me, because where their buddies might let them off, They know that I hold a standard whenever it comes to profanity. And and they've called me the profanity killer, the ninja, because I walk through the hallway and they don't see me coming. The point is, they know what I stand for because I'm the same every day. They know the standards that I hold according to God's word. Why? Because the way I live, not because of the words that I speak. And that's what it's going to take for somebody to realize who you are. Because talk is cheap, but actions speak louder than words. I'm, I'm coming to a close. I'm getting ready to finish. The, the praise team can come. I know I've lost a lot, of, a lot of you, but pray that you stick with me just for a little bit longer. I'm a man that loves Jesus simply because he first loved me. Church, if you've never experienced the love of God, you've never experienced love. It's an unconditional love. It's the love of the father that ran off of the porch whenever the prodigal son returned. It's the love of the father that laid down the pride and said, I will run to where you are because I see you making an effort to come back. I've lived a life of sin before. I never want to go back. I've lived in the, in the pigsty. thought I was living the high life. Until my friends were gone and I was I was just left with the misery. Has anyone ever been there? Sometimes God allows us to run away and find ourselves in misery to realize how good the house of the Father was. Sometimes we have to hurt to realize who we are. I'm a man that loves Jesus simply because he first loved me. You have to know who you are in Christ. David knew who he was, but Saul did not. See, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, or better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew who they were. Whenever they were faced with death or changing their stances, they stood on the foundation that they have created. They said, I have not struggled every single day of my life to buckle now I know who I am and I have formed my life according to God's word and because I know who I am I can stand in the face of diversity I can stand in my trial and my tribulation and I can stand in the face of death because this is not my final home I know who holds the keys of death, hell and the grave and I'm comforted in knowing that because I know Jesus is my hope for tomorrow. See, Abraham knew who he was, but Lot did not. Cornelius knew who he was, and God honored it. Paul and Silas knew who they were, and God freed them. You have to have a foundation of who you are, and you have to be willing to stand on it when your faith is put on the line. If you take nothing else, and I'm done. If you take nothing else away from this message today, hear this. You have to know you are nothing without Jesus. When you know him, you know who you are. And when you know who you are, you have to acknowledge and know you're nothing without Jesus. He is our joy, our peace, our comfort, and our refuge He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Listen, church, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's John 15 and 5. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord alone, saith the Lord of hosts. The moment you recognize who he is, is when you realize who you are. I wonder, could we stand all across this field? And if the Lord's convicting you and pulling you, would you come to this?